Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to The Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. One of my favourite magazines growing up was Shop Till You Drop. I was obsessed buying every issue, lusting over all the clothes and the styling and taking in every single word of the letter from the editor. So you can only imagine my absolute delight when I got to interview this next guest, the current editor-in-chief of InStyle Australia, CCO of True North Media and author of Semi-Gloss, Justine Cullen. Justine has had such an illustrious career in the world of magazines, starting her journey at Girlfriend Magazine and holding the position of editor-in-chief at titles such as Elle Australia and, of course, my first love, Shop Till You Drop. I loved chatting to her all about her latest role with True North Media and InStyle Australia, how the changing landscape of the media industry has impacted her, and where she thinks we are heading in the future. Now, let's get on to the interview. Now, I have had a few pinch me moments on this podcast, and Justine, you are certainly one of them. So firstly, thank you for joining us on the press office today. We beyond appreciate your time. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm sure you have lots of fun. I cannot wait, but let's just get right on into it because you have had such an illustrious career in the media industry, in particular in the world of magazines. Can you tell me about your current role as CCO of True North Media and Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Australia? Yeah, just ultimate slashy. I like to have all the titles. Um, well, I mean, this is, this is my 30th year in magazines and I had left Elle, which I'd launched in 2018 and I'd gone to work in, uh, at Medium Rare. So a content agency primarily working on the David Jones account. So making Jones, which was there, which is still there, consumer facing sort of editorialized magazine, but also catalogs, campaigns, video, all kinds of things. And we worked across all categories. So everything, of course, fashion, but also mainstream fashion and then food and kids and, and lots of different things. And I had kind of had it in my head that, you know, my consumer days were done. You know, I'd worked on my dream magazine. I'd got to launch it, which was an amazing experience. And I just thought, you know, the writing was on the wall for the industry. I had been part of, you know, I'd, I'd been there through all of the Bauer declines. I'd been offered a job looking after both Elle and Bazaar and decided that it wasn't for me. And so if I wasn't going to take that, then it was obviously time to exit. So I um, I took the job at Medium Rare and, and I learned a lot and it was amazing. And then out of the blue, I had a call from Simon Bookalil, who I really only knew and 
you know, someone who'd been in the fashion industry or around the fashion industry for a long time. I knew that he had launched Fashion Week with Simon Locke way back when and that he'd had spin communications. That was kind of all I really knew about Simon. And I thought he was calling me because I knew they worked quite a lot with Zimmerman and I thought, you know, maybe he wants to make an anniversary magazine, you know, a book or a special magazine for Zimmerman in another country or something like that. So I took the meeting and he sort of presented me with this idea that, you know, his mother had worked in magazines and she was an editor. She was part of Aisha Buttrose's crew. So she was an editor on, on Bazaar and, and Harper's and Mode way back when. And he'd grown up under the sort of desks at ACP and, and really had this love for it and then had watched, like many people, what had been happening over the past few years with a lot of sadness and also had a lot of friends in independent publishing and, and was aware of some of what was happening in independent pub- publishing internationally and was sort of thinking, well, no one's really doing that here. And, and I think, you know, he sort of said to me, I think that a lot of the issues that you were having in consumer would maybe not exist if you were part of a, a more agile, independent business instead of in these big sort of publishing behemoths that have done things the same way for, you know, decades. And he said, you know, he was really keen to do it. He loved the idea of me running the business for him. Is that something I was interested in? And I was sort of like, why? <laughs> what well, you know, it just felt like it was such weird news to me, the idea that somebody wanted to get into publishing at this point when everyone else was exiting and then, and I sat with it for a minute and, and I sort of, I got off the phone and, and I thought about it and I started to think about what he'd said about, about independence and, and how correct that was, how a lot of the, the battles that I'd been fighting, all the times I'd been banging my head against the wall from way back when the internet first started and we were kind of saying, you know, how do we monetize this? Asking all these questions that, that really in publishing, we'd never really found the answers to. Oh, we thought we did and we thought the answer was in Facebook and then Facebook pulled the rug out and on that. So, you know, there were all these things where I thought, you know, if we were able to have more of a hand in how this business was run and, and what the future looked like and able to meet the customer where she was a little bit more, then I can see how this would work. People have always loved magazine-style content. They just got it in another format. People were missing, I thought, some of those really big content moments that magazines are able to do better than anyone else and and – all of that was still out there. It was just not necessarily being done by the same brands. And so I called him and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm really keen. And his challenge to me was if you were building a publishing business in 2022, you know, what would it have to look like? And in my mind, I sort of took what I had learned in, at agency, in agency land in terms of custom publishing and, and all brands needing to be content producers of their own now and that going nowhere with this idea of a consumer-facing title and having those big content moments and covers and things like that that, you know, do so well for the brands and that as we transitioned into digital, we'd kind of left behind in many ways. So that's what the business is. It is a combination of, you know, a, a publishing company that that modernises legacy titles, so the first cab off the rank, obviously, being in style and kind of formats them for new platforms and, and looks at how, how those big brands and those, you know, international mastheads that has, have so much familiarity, how they can work in this era that we're living in now. But also we do a lot of custom content work. So that is stuff that you would never necessarily see coming from us, but creating magazines for brands, creating book, building books for people, 
doing online content for brands' websites that are not necessarily amplified through InStyle or connected to InStyle in any way. They work separately, but it's that same creative team. So it gives people a sort of an editorialized approach to content, which I guess a lot more cut through. So right now, I mean, obviously InStyle takes up a lot of my time, but we're still looking at what's next. What do we launch next? working on a lot of, of branded content behind the scenes. And it, it's sort of all the sides of my brain come together, which is very exciting for me at this stage of my career. <laughs> I can't wait to dig a little bit deeper into your thoughts about, you know, the future of the media industry, because you're clearly a thought leader in this space. But before we get into that, you are someone that has always been so heavily involved in the magazine industry and either myself as a young girl growing up wanting to work in media originally you know that goal was to work in magazines but obviously that's changed over time did you know that you always wanted to work in magazines yes absolutely like most people I think who work in magazines it's a bit of a calling and you get it at a young age I think I was about seven and, you know, I've, I've told the story many times that my mum used to bring me home secondhand copies of Dolly and I would pour over them and, and I was always the most drawn to the editor's letter and I, I loved the idea of these, you know, groups of young women working together and making something and it seemed so exciting and, and so different to the lives that I could see of the women around me sort of growing up in the suburbs and I just never wanted to do anything else. You know, I loved reading and I loved writing and it was always my passion and it, I know that there are still so many young people coming through today that have that same love for it and it breaks my heart that the, the same opportunities are not there and, and that it's so different although I do feel strongly about the new opportunities that are opening up but yeah I, I never have been able to see myself doing anything else I think twice so once I left I'd come home from London to work on B magazine and was a bit disillusioned and Brian Walsh who actually just recently passed away he offered me a job in in publicity for his his company, the publicity department. And and I took that and I think I lasted maybe four months. And I would like literally go in and be like, no one's very nice to you. Like I'm just used to people being nice to you all the time. <laughs> so, you know, I thought that maybe that was a skill set that I could, you know, adapt my existing skill set to. And no, I just missed I couldn't walk into a news agent without bursting into tears. And then the same thing happened, you know, when I left Elle and and I went to the agency while I really loved the work that I was getting to do. And it was a whole new part. It was a little bit, I was, you know, still getting to make a magazine. So I was holding on to a little bit of what I loved, but then also getting all this new experience and learning all these new things, you know, Googling phrases under the table that I had no idea what people were talking about in meetings. And, and that was a, an awesome feeling. I, you know, feel like I'm a bit of a lifelong learner. So I loved that. But then I was, I was still the same. Like people would ask what I did and I didn't really know how to answer because I was just so used to being able to say, I'm the editor of Elle, I'm the editor of Shop. And, and, and my identity was very caught up in that. And, um, yeah, so it was such a, a satisfying feeling to come back and be launching in style. And, you know, I'm a very hands-on editor too. Like I, I'm not really a publisher. I've got no interest in being a, a traditional publisher where it's all just the business and the spreadsheets. You know, I, like, I still go on every shoot, most shoots you know, I still, I'm, it's still me responding to all the briefs. You know, I, I really love the creativity of it still. So to come back to that was really exciting. And yeah, it makes me feel like I'm in my spiritual home. Even just hearing you talk about it, it, it truly feels like you've found your calling, which is great because so many people don't. 
And you mentioned that initially your mum used to bring back Dolly magazines. And I love teen magazines. I, I, I think it's so sad that there are no teen magazines now that, that that market has changed. You know, you got to be in, in a magazine, you had like a best friend and an older sister and sometimes, especially, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, some of the advice was absolutely terrible. And you know, it's, it's scary to think of some of the things that were said, but also some of it was amazing when I look at you know, particularly the really early copies of Dolly, you know, before I even worked there, you know, it was so creative and and didn't speak down to its audience at all. It really like kind of spoke to teenage girls on the level that they should be spoken to with absolute respect and love. And I think it's, it's really sad that that is a, a category that doesn't exist anymore. And speaking of career highlights, you have plenty and I can't wait to hear what yours are because you know just from my opinion the cover of Nicole Trunfio breastfeeding her son on Elle Australia interviewing some amazing personalities including former Australian of the Year Grace Tame and even this weekend you were hanging out with my little crush Daniel Ricardo. very jealous <laughs> what are some career highlights from your amazing career I mean, I think mine are, are a bit boring. You know, they're they're more like the fact that I've been able to launch from scratch essentially to international brands in this country. Um, Elle had obviously existed before, but it had been closed for about 10 years. And I really loved, you know, Legadaire who own the Elle license internationally. They, you know, they're very much like the spirit of the brand stays the same, but we know that your market will be different. Your audience will be different. So, you know, you have a lot of creative kind of license there. That was a really thrilling experience to be able to take my favourite, you know, at that time magazine and, and think of, you know, what did it need to be in this country? And then to be able to do that again with InStyle, again, completely different kind of attitude. But I, what I loved about InStyle was that it was launched in the 90s in America. And that was very much about giving you this inside access to celebrity. And the challenge for me was that, you know, and I even said this to to Simon when he first told me that he had the license to install, I was like, well, I'm not really a celebrity person. You know, I don't, that doesn't drive me. And I can see how that, how the position of the magazine, you know, how it works, but, you know, how can I, how can I make it something that I'm more excited by? And, and I loved the idea that Laura Brown had already been playing with in, when, when she took on the role in America, that really it's about what's in style, you know, what's in the zeitgeist. And that I love because I'm very political. You know, I'm the person who's like, by the time anybody else has woken up in the morning, I've read 15 substacks and I'm a real media whore. And I, you know, I just, you know, addicted to information and learning about what's new and what are people doing. And so that really spoke to me and, and, and being able to make it something that spoke to more about the times that we're living in and who's shaping tomorrow. And, and so to have the opportunity to, create or adapt a brand twice is you know in a single career I feel really blessed to have done that the mention the moments that you mentioned too like definitely Nicole Trumpio's breastfeeding cover that was a, a magical moment and one that kind of came as a surprise I don't think we realized we definitely didn't know when we did it that it was the first time that had ever been done but lots of other firsts I'm lucky enough to have won a version of cover of the year four times now so you know we've had some big moments we shot the first ever fashion magazine, or I think magazine cover on an iPhone, the iPhone 7. So that was a long time ago <laughs> uh, with Margaret Zhang. So that was that was another, you know, incredible moment of just like, you know, creative challenges and seeing what could be done. 
well, I, you know, more recently shooting Anthony Albanese for the cover of InStyle. That was that was an incredible moment because we hadn't even launched yet. And, you know, I put in a call, I sort of cold called someone. I'd got a number from someone who'd got a number from someone for someone in his team. The election hadn't been called yet. And, and I just sort of said, look, I love politics, but even I feel like I don't really know anything about Anthony Albanese. And everybody who I knew was sitting there going, well, we don't necessarily want to vote for the incumbent, but we also don't know anything about the opposition and to me there's always a story in that you know I think a straw poll can sometimes tell you quite a bit about what everyone's thinking and so that was an an interesting moment the fact that they said yes and his team kind of were young and they understood the benefit of you know of what this could look like and even up until that morning you know I was on a flight that morning and I called Simon our publisher and I was like I don't think this is going to be a big deal. You know, I, I kind of feel like let's just not have any expectations on this. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. And then by the time I got off the flight, it had completely blown up and it was on, you know, the front cover of every newspaper and news site in the country. And, you know, I, I knew it was a win because we made Batuta. So that, that was always, <laughs> like, that's always a win for me. So, you know, like moments like that where you just like you have a hunch on something and then it happens and, you know, you're right, or, it, or, you know, it kind of takes off where everyone understands what you're doing. I think they're the real thrills for me. That's so incredible. And all of those moments extended from, you know, just that magazine that you were writing about, you know, they, they made global and national headlines. It's incredible. Now, besides from being a trailblazer in the magazine industry, you also did write a book, Semi-Gloss, and that is a collection of essays about magazines, motherhood and misadventures. How different was it writing a book to writing for a magazine? Oh my God, it was hellish. Hellish. Like, I was so bad at it. I mean, it's a, it's such a different it's a different headspace that you need to be in. You know, as an editor, my job is to hone. You know, keep it on point and and keep it clever and short and sharp and like you know, know what's. I think a big part of being a great editor is knowing what can go. And as a writer, I was having to do the opposite because you know it was so hard to even get to the word count. So like I was like, oh my god, where else can I? You know, what other memories can I dredge up here? And as well, you know. I don't know, in my day job, I'm always thinking about it and and it's about what's next and that's what I'm really interested in. So to go back and actually be more thinking about what's already been and, and be processing that, was a, it was emotionally cathartic in many, day, in many ways, but it was also, you know, it was hard to do. You have to be in the right headspace to do that. And, and I do not live a life that is made for that beautiful author's headspace. I'm, there's four kids around, I've got a I've got a husband and four children and, and a crazy job. And so I was writing anywhere and anywhere I could, you know, there was no time carved out in my day for it. And I'm like everyone else hyper scheduled. So I found the whole process really hard. I was two years late on the deadline. I, I just kept calling them and saying like, I'm going to need an extension or I'd try to get out of it. And they'd give me an extension that I didn't want. And they were very lovely to work with my publishers at Allen and I'm went, but and in the end, the only reason it got out was because I'd had a, a kind of a career coach who was helping me process what my future looked like now that I was no longer the editor of Elle and, and, and that had been such a big part of my goal for most of my adult life. And so I'd had this career coach and I said, oh, I've got this book deal and I'm just going to let it go because I just don't have time to think about it. And she just said, just write the stupid book, like just write one draft of the book and then Ellen and Ellen will help you finish it. 
And she was absolutely right. You know, I got it off and I sent it off and then, you know, the advice that they gave and, and, you know, it definitely was a a give and take process was so helpful in actually making me finish it. So I'm glad I did. But yes, I'm not, I'm definitely not an author. And speaking of the juggle, how do you do that? How do you have an iconic career and a family? I can't even imagine I have a very helpful and very helpful husband. Well, no, it's not helping when it's your own family. I have a wonderful husband and I have a very helpful mother um, and mother-in-law actually. And I know I have great kids too. Like they're super understanding and relatively independent. You know, they're all spread out too. So it's not like I have four little kids. I have two almost adults or one adult, one almost adult, and then two little kids. And so everyone chips in and I don't know, we've never had a nanny or anything. It's always just like one foot in front of the other. And when people say, how did you do that? I'm always like, I actually have no idea. I don't know who's, you know, it's crazy sometimes. And sometimes it kind of feels like, you know, very rarely it's like, oh, we've really got this all together. Mostly it feels like chaos. (laughs) I think there's chaos in everyone's lives. What, What does a typical day then look like for you? Um, there really isn't, I guess I know that's a trite answer. It doesn't, there isn't really a typical day. I spend a lot of my time kind of just coming up with ideas like that, that I feel like is my job is like chief ideas person, whether that's for, you know, the next brands that we might launch or responding to a brief from an advertiser or, you know, just thinking of like, what can we do next that might cause a bit of a ripple and get people talking about us. And, you know, I could be doing that on the road or traveling. I've been traveling interstate quite a lot. There's a lot of international travel coming up and lots of just kind of like, you know, you're sort of the orchestra, you know, you're leading a team and it's kind of a little bit of like, okay, delegating and pulling teams together and putting the right people on the right jobs. And, you know, working with the team is, is the thing that I love the most. You know, I have an amazing team and many people who I've worked with for decades, they do so much of the heavy lifting. That's amazing. And I want to get into the juicy stuff with you now. And you touched on this at the beginning that, you know, during your time in the magazine industry, a lot has changed. There has been so many closures. You know, I remember reading you as the editor of Shop 2 Drop. That was my favorite magazine growing up. Everybody says that. (laughs) Yeah, it was so good. And I loved it because it was so like high, low fashion. You know, there was definitely the stuff that were definitely out of my budget at the time when I was 15 years old reading it. But then there was this stuff that I actually could go and buy. So I loved it. Anyway, I could <laughs> I could write an essay on Chop 2 Drop, bring it back. How have all of these closures and transitions in the industry actually impacted you? Um, I mean, of course they've impacted in many ways. Like, you know, in the old days, you could become an editor of a magazine like In Style or like Elle and, and stay there for decades and, you know, kind of become part of the furniture and nothing much changed. I mean, I feel like I started out in a time when it was a little bit like that and, you know, they were the only, you know, they were the only places for, for marketers to spend their money. And then, you know, suddenly social media appeared and then we all worked out that, we weren't really being able to monetize our websites effectively and, and, you know, working through that. And then, you know, obviously the closures and everything that you mentioned, that's all in the, in the more recent past. But then as well, I'm, I've also been here at this part, which is where you've got magazines coming back. And, you know, we started off saying we would be digital first within style, but also that we would do two issues a year of two printed issues a year because, well, you know, 
partly because having a printed issue sort of is a legitimizer, I think, in the magazine industry. You know, it's good to be able to say you've got that. And also because we knew that, you know, for luxury advertisers, they still love to see their beautiful campaigns placed somewhere. So, you know, twice a year felt about right. And we immediately, after the first issue, that was so successful that we moved to four a year because, you know, firstly, because I think the demand for print was more than what I expected from a market perspective, but also because, you know, there's a real resurgence amongst Gen Z of loving a printed product. And that's not something that I was expecting. You know, the sales of the first issue did really well. We've just, the second issue went on sale about three weeks ago. We've already had to restock into Coles and Woolworths and and airport because it it was selling out everywhere. You know, that's such a surprise to me in, in 2023, but it's so heartening to hear it. But I think the fact that, you know, the internet is not novel to Gen Z, it's something that you've grown up with and it's so, you know, it's just a part of life. And so they're sort of going, well, actually this, this information is actually better formatted for me in this way and I'll use social and I'll use TikTok and I'll use the internet for the, these reasons. But actually there's something really lovely about sinking down with a magazine. And so I think the trick for, for me has always been to just kind of, you know, roll with the punches and not to feel I'm really always very hungry. I'm always like, you know, what can we be doing that's new? Where should we be heading? And I think you have to have that hunger to have any kind of longevity in this business because it's, you know, it's when you stay the same that you get left behind. It's really interesting what you were saying about, you know, your print magazine strategy because I was doing some research and there was a recent study by Roy Morgan that actually found the percentage of Australians reading magazines has increased from last year and they're expecting it to continue trending upwards, which is amazing because, like you said, a few years ago we're thinking, oh, no, maybe there isn't space for magazines anymore, but there certainly is. I think that's sort of, you know, the information that magazines provide is is always been loved and is necessary and it doesn't translate well digitally. Like nobody wants to read a page turner online. You know, that's not a nice experience. You know, you're not getting the same sort of, you know, information from social or maybe it's more clickbaity. You know, there's, I think, you know, good things and bad things about every platform, but I think we've kind of moved away from that magazine experience a bit too quickly and we've seen it, you know, book sales, like printed book sales, are going through the roof, largely credited to younger younger readers. And, you know, we've seen even vinyl sales, you know, uh, sky high at the moment. And, I mean, it's I can't remember the exact figure, but it's like a crazy percentage of vinyl sales during 2021 and 2022 were Taylor Swift. So it's not like, you know, your crotchety uncle Richard with his, you know, Rolling Stones back catalogue that's doing it. It's young people. So I think that's really exciting. And in terms of, you know, in-style strategy, is what you publish on the website really different to what you print in the magazine? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so how we work it is, you know, the website is for every day. It's what we're thinking about now. It's, it's you know, obviously it's, and there's some, there's some elements. And one of the things that always frustrated me about website content is that by nature, because it follows the news cycle, it has to be, it's a bit homogenous. You know, you'll know that you'll see something on our site and you'll see something on Vogue's site and you'll see something on Bazaar's site. And the truth is like, it's all the same story. Just hopefully we've all found our own angle on it, but we are, you know, we do produce that, that content every day and we put a lot of work into finding those angles. 
But then we also do this monthly digital edition, which is that element of us bringing those big content moments that we missed about magazines and putting them into a digital format. And that content is generally what what lives in the digital issue. It's not huge. It's maybe six different articles, a cover profile, a fashion story, some longer reads. But that's more, you know, we kind of call that, you know, I, well, it's only me on the team who calls it this, but I do say it a lot. Like that's our veggies, you know, like the dessert is the stuff that you give everyone every day and that's going to bring them to the site. And then this is the more brand focused stuff, you know, the stories that, that I feel sum us up more as a brand that have more, I guess, integration with then where we go with print and the challenge with print you know because most most magazines are made up of like a core team that works on the print product and then you have a much younger team that works on digital usually on multiple digital sites not just one brand and then you might have a commercial team that doesn't sit with the editorial team at all and is producing commercial ideas but for us it's the one team doing everything and I think that's really important so that everything has the same lens and the same quality And I also think from a staffing perspective, from a practical level, it enables me to pull in staff who are wanting to future-proof their careers in some ways, but still love that they get to make a magazine. So, you know, for us in thinking about when we're producing a print product, it can be challenging because we're also producing all the rest. So there might be stories where, you know, in the first issue, there's a story that we loved at the time. And then in hindsight, when you go, oh my God, it took us three months to get to the point of that story being out in the world we'd already you know we'd already talked about it to death on our own site you know it was already out there so being able to kind of work out what are the things that are going to have a bit of a long tail what are people not talking about yet so when we think of print it's definitely what's next rather than what's now and then for the second issue there were things that we said oh let's not do that because it'll be everywhere and then by the time we came out actually people hadn't started talking about that yet so we're you know still learning and still kind of working out what the timing is but definitely being very aware that it's it's two different types of content and the easiest way to define that is what's now and what's next and what do you think about like the future of the magazine industry do you think we'll continue to see you know this amalgamation of both digital and print really coexisting together I think so. I mean, storytelling is storytelling, you know, and hopefully there's a bit of a return to the craft of doing that well instead of just, you know, the churn of it. I think independent publishing is super interesting and, you know, probably is the future. It just enables you to be more agile and nimble and all those things that we love, but also to approach the craft itself in maybe a, a slightly more creative way and to find solutions to problems that have been around forever that maybe might be hard to find within the confines of a bigger company. Saying that, you know, there are challenges to independent publishing. There was so, there were so many things when we made the first print issue of InStyle that I didn't even know that we did, like <laughs> because we had other departments doing that in, in other places. And I was like, what? I have to do that? So, you know, it has its challenges, but by by and large, it's, I think, a much more future-proof way to work in this industry. And, you know, and the joy for it to me is that is that idea of being where the audience is. And that for now, the audience is seeming to love quarterly magazines and, and I'm loving making it. But if next year, all of a sudden they're back to, you know, they want monthly or they only want one a year or whatever that is, I think to have that flexibility and be able to move to where she is and meet her where she is that you know to me that's really exciting and that's the way that that we can have a future so you know maybe it's you know for me less about big big brands like it used to be and more about going very very niche you know I love that idea as well but I I think that's probably where the future lies 
It's funny, I've spoken to a few guests who have said that a lot of like larger media companies in their experience have started to fall behind because they don't have the flexibility to change up like you've said. So I I think that is so important. Well, they're built around, you know, I I spent many, many years of my life at ACP slash Bauer and, you know, they're built around different brands. They're built around the Australian Women's Weekly or Women's Day or TV Week. It's a very different model to what we do. You know, that's copy sales model and that, that's where the revenue comes from, whereas fashion magazines have always been an advertising revenue model. And it's hard for a big company, I think, to have three, two different agendas like that and to be able to work well in that space. Definitely. And putting your editor hat on, do you have a preferred way to work with a PR or in the same instance, any pet hates with working with a PR? Oh my gosh, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, the best PR relationships that I have are the long ones. I mean, this is my 30th year in magazines, as I was saying. So like there's some people who I've known for decades and have worked with that entire time. And I really love that. You know, I think the best relationships though are when the PR really understands, like, you know, they might understand the challenges that are facing the magazine. So yes, you know, we want something, but can I make it easier for you by offering for, you know, do I have a videographer on set who can give you that content? You know, so you can supply the vehicle for it and the audience, but we'll give you the, we'll make that happen or, you know, work with us on a shoot, for example. So it's kind of like, you know, something where you're collaborating more on something together. I think I hate being given story ideas. You know, I just, I know that that's that maybe just me, but I don't need those kind of like constant regular pictures of, I can't even think of some examples because I don't read them and I don't think many editors do, you know, it's kind of an instant delete, but those things where it's like, okay, look, I'd love you to cover this for me. And then asking, you know, how can we make this happen? How can we make it easier for you? you know, what would work best for your title rather than trying to squeeze the same sort of story ideas down lots of people's throats. And then I'd love it if more events were in the daytime. <laughs> like there's a great issue, the end of last year and this year, there have been so many evening events. And I think in an industry that is full of people who are so burnt out, it's insane that this has just become so normalised for us. And I get it. Like I get that people want influencers who might have another day job and all of that, but I'm also like, in no one's world is a lipstick launch not work. So that's that's my two cents. <laughs> I agree with that. And I think too, coming back from COVID, there was a nice slow trickle of events coming back. And now it is just next level how many events there are. It's crazy. Yeah. But I, yeah, just anytime you can really feel like a PR sort of understands the vehicle that they're pitching to and who who the audience is, is it's so refreshing to when it feels like it's a cookie cutter moment you're trying to squeeze a, you know, a generic story idea into into something that just doesn't suit. Definitely. And looking at your career, do you have any advice for the next Justine Cullen who might be listening along? I mean, someone asked me this, I, I spoke at a fashion school the other day and, and someone said, you know, how would you start now? Because for me, it was always about work experience, you know, like just getting in there and doing as much work experience as I could. I think now I'd probably start a Substack. you know, just just write, get my voice out there, really use that opportunity to hone my voice as much as I can. 
And, you know, it's, it's interesting for us, even when we're freelancing, even when we're hiring freelance writers and we might commission to someone who's had a lot of work on, you know, international websites that we love or in magazines that we love. And then the copy comes through and it's kind of like, oh, that's not what we thought that they read like because they've been so edited. Whereas with a Substack, I love hiring someone who has a Substack because I know it's all their own writing and I know, you know, I can tell how clean it is or where their personality lies. But, you know, yeah, I think that now the priority would be on creating your own brand, not necessarily just like, you know, an Instagram presence, but, you know, who are you as a writer? What niche can you have as AI takes off and, you know, search kind of is going to transform in ways that I don't know that we quite can get our heads around yet. You know, it'll be less about evergreen content and more about, you know, people looking for writers that they really love or for a take on things that they're, you know, that is very unique. And so I think that I would be focusing on that in that kind of a space rather than necessarily there's just not enough magazines for everyone to get that same level of of junior experience that there once was. That's great advice. And is there anything that you would do differently in your career now or not really? (laughs) Might have gone into STEM. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Um, No, (laughs) yeah. No, I mean, I think it all it all leads to where you're supposed to be, right? You know, I, I might have been said that, you know, maybe I would have left traditional publishing a little bit earlier. You know, I was pretty burnt out by the end. I was a bit disillusioned. I was over having to sit in management meetings with people from other countries who didn't know the market and weren't the target market themselves and, and you know, have to listen to their guidance on what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And I think that that had kind of, you know, I was finding that pretty soulless for a pretty long time. But, you know, even looking back, you know, ultimately I loved my job more than I hated it always. And I was so satisfied with what we had created, you know, there on the two, two magazines that I worked on there that I don't think I'd change anything. You know, it would have been nice to have more influence over how we moved into digital, absolutely, at an earlier stage. But I think the whole industry was sort of struggling with that. So, no. I think that's, yeah, I think that's important to note. And I have had such a lovely time chatting to you, but I have five quick fire questions left for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. What has been your favorite PR event ever? Oh, I don't, do they count as PR events? But I think any of the luxury brands cruise shows where you know you get to travel to some amazing location and and it's usually a couple of days of incredible you know I was at an amazing Dior one month in London where they took over a a Soho pub and completely rebranded it as the Lady Dior Hotel and you know everything from the beer mats through to the coasters and you know everything was branded and, and beautiful and then you know went on an incredible a train it was a bit like the Hogwarts Express you know with everything again, just branding everywhere and, and, and took it to Blenheim Palace and, and watched a beautiful show and, you know, like incredible experiences where you just like pinch me. This is, cannot be real. That sounds so amazing. Okay. Next question. Your favorite podcast? Oh, I mean, I listen to the daily every day. I'm, I'm a bit of a podcast junkie. I still, I really love, um, still processing. I mean, I do listen to things other than things made by the New York times, but Still processing when they when they make it. My favorite of all time podcast is the Charles Manson series from You Must Remember This. I recommend it to everyone all the time. It's so amazing. A twelve part 
series that just really takes you into that world and that sort of 1969 transition. It's about the context of that time. So it transitions between old Hollywood and then, you know, the world post the Charles Manson murder is pretty amazing. Oh, that sounds amazing. You've got me adding that to my list. (laughs) What is your favourite social media platform? Oh, can I not have a favourite? I spend a lot of time lurking on TikTok, but I don't post too much time. (laughs) And Instagram is, you know, a necessary evil. It is a necessary evil. (laughs) Your most visited website? I would say at the moment Substack, even though, you know, obviously it's sent to your phone, but to your inbox. I just, there are so many incredible Substacks out there and um, just amazing writers speaking about their own niche worlds. And I, you know, I, I spend so much time, as I mentioned, like it's like every morning I'm like having to find an extra hour of the day to go through everything in my inbox. And then I end every single day on the Vulture crossword puzzle. So <laughs> I would have to say that. That's how I go to sleep. And my last question for you, what is your screen time? I want to know. I think it's like 14 hours a day. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. I mean, I'm always harassing my children about their screen time and it's not something that I model back. So (laughs) I'm ashamed to say it. But then I also am like, you know what? I love that we can work from anywhere and, you know, it's not like I'm sitting for 14 hours at my office desk. I'm, you know, out and about. It's just that I'm, as I mentioned, like constantly like absorbing media and that's part of the job. It's all for work. It doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> as I've transitioned from, you know, getting news or kind of inspiration out of social, it's been so good to be able to say to my husband, look, I'm not on Instagram hardly at all now, but I'm just instead on email. <laughs> That's fine. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time. And I feel like everyone is going to get so much out of this podcast. So thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app. And please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.